0: Hey everyone, welcome to That Triathlon Life Podcast. I'm Eric Lagerstrom.
1: I'm Paula Finley.
2: I'm Nick Goldston.
0: Paula and I are both professional triathletes. Nick is a professional musician and just our very best friend and also an amateur triathlete. And on this podcast, <laughs> on this podcast, we uh, take a lot of questions from the audience. We talk a little bit about what we have going on in our respective triathlon journeys and hopefully, you know, share some insights along the way.
2: Okay, can I just start by saying I'm sorry. I'm just very excited about this weekend I just had, where I was in Yosemite. I had back to back long trail run days. Have you guys ever had this happen? It was like a it was a bit it was a lot for me. Only my right leg is very sore. My left leg is like kind of sore, but my right leg is very sore. And it's not like I hit it on something. It's like DOMS. It's delayed onset muscle soreness. Am I am I dying or has this happened to you?
0: <laughs> Nick, we've been doing triathlon for since it's the dinosaurs,
2: yes, it's happened. (laughs) (laughs) I just, it's it's so confusing. Like I was just running. It could be like a cambered
1: trail or maybe you have an imbalance and it it just gets accentuated when you're running that long.
0: Your right foot, it was a little tender and you didn't even know it. So you were like breaking super hard with the left, going downhill, like a a thousand So many reasons. Yeah. Bodies are Uh, crazy, man.
2: It's so hard for me to walk right now. It's really catching up to me. That's
0: how you know I had a good weekend.
2: Yeah, that was fun. What about you guys? We didn't get to talk much because I was out of service, out of cell line. Yeah.
0: Well, we're actually both pretty sore as well, but from doing a 40 minute build run loop around our house, mostly on asphalt. And yeah. so and a hard
1: ride the next day.
0: And a hard ride. Yeah. We, we had a kind of a big, little, like this little mini intense weekend of training because we raced last weekend in Ibiza. And next weekend, we're both racing in what do we even want to call it? The, the South. south. Yeah. I'm racing in Alabama. Paul is racing in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's the South. So we tried to put in, we tried to cram in some training this weekend and then we'll do like a little tiny taper starting
2: Wednesday. So what does that build run look like? What pace do you start at? What pace do you finish at? And how do you kind of think of it throughout it?
0: Uh, this this one was a little unique because um, Paulo, our coach, actually, well, he gave me paces anyway, like a prescribed starting pace and, and then in like an absolute speed limit. He didn't want me to go over and uh, the starting pace was, I think, 340 per K, and I did 20 minutes at that, and then 15 minutes at something in the middle, and then five minutes, no faster than 324 per kilometer.
1: But we were doing it kind of on trails and stuff, so it was a little bit
0: Yeah. Uh, the two, a little bit hard. We uh, Yeah, we did it a little bit on, I like started on trail, a little bit uphill, and then ended up on a gravel road, and then ended up, you know, kind of running down asphalt to finish, and... So there, you you build in a little bit of uh, wiggle room there, depending, and go a little bit by perceived exertion. But I ended up doing, yeah, three forty or like three thirty six, three forty, and then for the middle bit, I was doing three thirty, and then hit like right at three twenty four for the last five minutes.
2: I'm curious about both of you. How often do you go above the prescribed maximum that Paulo gives you?
0: Um, I don't. Are you pretty I, good I really about try it? To, I feel like. Paulo doesn't give us a ton of guidance on like wattages and paces. So I feel like when he writes in an absolute thing like that, I try to respect it. Yeah. Mm. You too, Paulo?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was there for a reason because we're not we're racing next weekend. We don't want to go crazy and get really sore. And we just traveled. So I think just overall being cautious. But sometimes like for a build run, your effort can build, but your paces don't actually reflect the effort building. So that was kind of the case for me because I was a little tired. It was like I felt like I was trying harder, but I wasn't necessarily getting much faster. So I think that's okay. I don't know. Try not to get too attached to each individual workout.
2: I was going to ask you about something that's really related to that is running in the trails. With yeah. You have two two kind of variables there. You have trees that are affecting your GPS data, and then you have uphills and downhills that are affecting your GPS data. So. For you, Paula, you can just tell you're not running faster, but your effort Um, is going up?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think that the GPS are pretty accurate on the trails we're running on. There's not like heavy, heavy woods, but they're pretty non-technical. They're just uphill. So yeah, I just kind of do it by effort.
2: Are you checking your watch pretty frequently when you guys are doing stuff like that?
1: Only when it laps every K. I'll check it.
2: Okay. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's so funny because for me, I'm looking every 20 seconds. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Uh, that
1: would drive me nuts. You
2: need like we
0: def you definitely need to have a, a certain degree of trust in yourself and you because know, you never know when the GPS won't be working or whatever you know. So we yeah. with the the screen that we both like to have is uh, like the average lap for the kilometer that you're in, the average pace. So if you've been running for 45 seconds, it's giving you the average pace you've been running for that 45 seconds, and that really helps smooth out. Totally. Yeah, you could, you could look down randomly one second, and you're running two minutes per mile.
1: Guys, I think we're tangenting really and hard t- on this Two seconds run. later,
0: you look down, and you're running five minutes <laughs> per mile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so then this weekend, you guys are racing in the south. We're both flying into Birmingham, and then my race is about 30 minutes south, and Paula's race is 90 minutes north. So we'll actually stay together first night in Pelham. Which is where my race is. And then I think the next day, Paula will drive up to Chattanooga.
1: So Eric can oh, build my bike right. for me. And then <laughs> nice. we'll get, we'll have two rental cars. No, it's like. So we can
0: spend some extra time together, babe. Yeah, nice. that too. Nice. It's a bit
1: of a logistical, uh, you Challenge? know, gymnastics to get <laughs> yeah. this all worked out. But it is uh, my specialty now. I'm also a travel agent yeah. as well as a triathlete. So. This
0: this whole thing actually came together. We're, we're going to drop a, a hint here. But this whole thing came together because we're actually picking up something very special in Birmingham on Monday. Paula wasn't initially going to race Chattanooga, or at least it wasn't a hard yes. Uh, but she was going to have to come anyway to, to do this thing on Monday. And I might see. as well do Chattanooga on the way. I'll give
1: you a hint. It rhymes with pan. <laughs> <laughs> it rhymes with
2: boring cellar. Okay, got it. <laughs> it also
1: rhymes with can. It also rhymes with... Printer can.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Printer can. Okay, great. But
0: Yeah, so I don't know exactly when we'll be uh, sharing that big news, but pretty quickly, maybe even on next week's podcast, we'll see. Got it. Oh, the other really cool thing we've been working really hard on is uh, we've got our summer collection. And we kind of went into this like, we went for this retro sort of classic color block feel with it, and we've gotten like all the fi- the final printout, not the printouts, but like the swatches where they show us how the fabric looks with the ink on it and how the labels are going to look. And it's we're really really excited about it. So that's coming up with TTL, and then we're very very close to one of the coolest things we've ever done: this collaboration with Foreign Rider. We're going to be putting out these hoodies. They're like heavy hoodies.
2: Oh, they're heavy! In this thing. They are thick, so thick with three C's. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so that's that's the uh, the TTL business update at the moment. Oh, and yeah. also
1: the kits. kits are coming soon as well. They should be shipping like this week or next.
0: Yeah, yeah. We had, it would, two weeks ago we had a thing saying that they would be to the Castelli warehouse uh, in two weeks, and then they will be shipping out immediately. So.
1: Yeah, so that should be now.
0: Get ready to start checking your mailbox every day.
1: And that's uh, everyone who ordered a a kit or a race kit, and then also our development team athletes will be getting their race kits. So going forward. All of the races that they do, they'll be in the kits, which is really cool for us. Hopefully, get some pictures and everything.
2: I won't have it by Saturday, though, right for for the race. Unlikely. Okay, that
0: would be miraculous.
2: Yeah, I'll just do a little uh, duct tape TTL on my uh, on my kit just to, <laughs> in the meantime. Yeah, yeah, my zoo kit. <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah, that's great. I can't wait to see the foreign rider stuff. That's going to be. Because we saw photos of it when it was in the factory that Ralph sent us. So I'm excited yeah. to see it in person.
0: And I've I've worn it, you know, one without our logo on it. It's, it's so nice.
2: So good. Yeah. Um, awesome. Okay, well, moving on here, we're going to do a little segment that we haven't done in a long time. Usually Paula is the one that is asking us. But this time I'm going to ask you guys a series of rapid fire questions. Okay, this is rapid fire food edition.
1: Oh, I love it.
2: Because, of course, I came up with it. So It's perfect because uh, we're starving. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Let's make it worse. Let's add fuel to the fire here. Okay. If we're at a pastry shop and you had to choose between gluten-free or vegan, which one would it be? Vegan.
1: I'd pick vegan.
2: Yeah. Vegan for sure. Um, okay. Croissant or muffin? Muffin. Not in gluten-free, Not not vegan, just in general. Croissant or muffin?
1: Croissant. I uh-huh. never pick a croissant, though, because it feels like they have... Absolutely zero nutritional value. Or sometimes a muffin can be disguised as like
2: a healthy, fibrous muffin. (laughs) Right, right, right. Croissants
1: are just indulgent, but they're so good.
2: Also, I find that even like I can't have a plain croissant. I need like a chocolate croissant or something. Yeah, or an almond croissant. There's not (laughs) enough chocolate in there. That's what I always find. Whereas the muffin, there's a uniform amount of chocolate throughout that I can rely on.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't know if we're a chocolate muffin I might go croissant if we're talking about a chocolate muffin
2: Oh, no, oh god, no what I want a
0: chocolate muffin? I want
2: a triple chocolate it's a muffin I want chocolate muffin with chocolate chips and chocolate chunks as well That's, That's a what I want. Like
1: the ones from Costco that are Oh, stop, stop Thousand calories each Stop, I'm gonna pass out <laughs>
2: I love those. I love those. Um, Okay, next one here. We're getting off topic. Chocolate chip or oatmeal cookie? Oatmeal. Chocolate chip. Oh, Eric, how could you? Okay. Next, froyo or fat-free, sugar-free ice cream? What was the- Froyo. There's like places that do like, oh, this ice cream is fat-free and sugar-free. I'm like, oh, then I don't want it. I'd rather have froyo. Yeah, I guess froyo for the whole experience. And then finally, what's your favorite kind of milk to put in your cereal?
1: 2%.
2: Wow. I know. I think Eric's, Eric, you do almond milk, right? In your I do
0: unsweetened vanilla almond milk. The, I do, when I go to my parents' house, have 2%. It's and so, so good. It's overwhelming for me sometimes. Like the sugar the plus the milk is just yeah. like, I better not have anything to do soon.
1: Yeah. It tastes very desserty to have 2%. So when I milk. do
2: whole milk and then sprinkle sugar on top, that's not good, right? Dude, I don't know how you- I'm kidding. Don't. I don't do that. The thing I'm about almond milk, that. unsweetened almond milk
1: is like water if you're used to drinking milk. Totally.
2: That's what it tastes so like gross. to me. I'm like, this is white water. That's yeah, what it exactly. tastes like to me.
1: Exactly. I don't ever use it, but Eric drinks it like by the carton.
0: Well, this is all part of my thing to try to keep my total sugar at breakfast. As low as possible, so I don't have a crazy crash.
1: Yeah, I would argue though that I mean Eric's not a believer in this at all. But milk has a lot of protein in it and some like other good yeah. vitamins and stuff, mm-hmm. which al- almond milk doesn't. So I don't think it's necessarily bad to have milk.
0: But. Yeah, it is. I'm I'm already the thickest boy on the start line. I'm not trying to put on more muscle. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: that's true. That's, true. Oh, that's
2: Right? I mean, that's thick. not true. But
1: if you think it's true, then okay.
2: Um, I'm just joking. No, that's great. That's great. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, now that we're nice and warmed up here, uh, we're going to move on to questions. And actually, before the questions, I want to say two things. First of all, thank you to our podcast supporters so much. You can support the podcast as well and submit your questions at thattriathlonlife.com slash podcast. Also on there, you can check out the gear we have and the YouTube a lot of good stuff on there. So before any questions, we had a follow-up from something that was said last week. And if, if for the keen-eared listeners, we had a question about contact lenses and open water swimming. So we had an eye doctor, eye doctor Nate, sent us an email. Uh, and this, is, this is from him. I thought you gave pretty good advice to the question about swimming in contacts. I personally would not trust soaking my lenses in solution overnight after open water swimming. Putting in contacts... And T1 is also a bad idea because your hands will be gross and now you're handling lenses and putting them in your eyes. Best case with mm-hmm. contacts where dailies throw them away about an hour after your race when you wash your hands and put in a new pair. Contacts mm-hmm. can actually suction to your eyes a little bit when you swim, so you want to give them some time to settle back to normal before you pull them off. And actually earlier in the email, he, he did say that the best possible thing to do is to get the laser surgery like, like Paula did.
0: Wow. This yeah. is amazing.
1: Yeah, that was yeah. really helpful.
2: Thank you, Dr. I Doctor Nate. Well,
1: I had a little bit of knowledge right, based right. on having bad vision and <laughs> experience with dailies.
2: Since you were the poster <laughs> child for LASIK. Yeah. yeah,
1: I have a little bit of experience, but um, it was nice to have an expert chime in. So thank you, yeah. Nate.
2: Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Nate. Okay, first real question here is from Abby. Hi, everyone. I had a question about bike fitness. Where I live is moderately hilly but there aren't that many bike-friendly roads to do hill repeats on, cons of living in a major city. I do live near an awesome trail system where I can easily get a thousand plus feet of elevation per 10 miles and frequently go there for runs. The trails are just rocky enough that they wouldn't be gravel bike friendly and require a mountain bike setup. Are there any downsides to doing hilly mountain bike rides once a week to get climbing legs over doing road rides? I'm training for the Lake Placid Ironman and have been putting in a lot of effort into making hills feel like a breeze, but no, I could be getting in a significantly better hill workout if I was riding dirt instead of road.
1: Yeah, I don't think that a mountain bike is at all applicable. The, the power spikes to get up steep hills are just so crazy. It's nothing like riding a road bike. And your position is so drastically different. I would say that you're better off doing big gear reps on flat on your road bike or your TT bike to replicate the hills. And you can do that on a flat road. You just go, you you over-gear massively. So your cadence is like 60 or 70, and you'll still kind of trigger those muscles. But yeah, mountain biking is great for skills. It's great for fitness. It's great for certain aspects of race specificity, but I would say the climbing isn't one of them.
2: It does feel different. Like a 30 to 40 minute climb on a road bike feels completely different than climbing even a moderately technical trail on a mountain bike yeah. where you have the spikes. Eric, yeah. I mean, Eric, you you do both at a high level. What What's your take on this? What What are we ultimately trying to train for? A road race? Lake Placid.
0: I think I think if your options are do hill repeats on a mountain bike on a, like, a gravel road that is consistent so you can mm, pedal the whole be time better. or don't do any hills at all because you don't have any, yeah. I would do the hills on the mountain bike. But if you're doing a climb that is, yeah, like Paula said, you're going 500 watts and then 200 and then 50 and then 600 because of any sort of technicality to it, then it would probably be a better stimulus to just do some
2: road. Mm -hmm. What do you think about her idea of doing the low cadence, the over gear work to simulate the climbing?
0: That's hard because, cause that's low torque. Like the bit, I don't know. It's it's just not quite the same as like the high torque that it requires to, to climb a hill. So if you could do
2: something, actual hills,
0: I think it's
1: good. I think another uh, trick would be to use Zwift a little bit for this.
2: Yeah, that's really that's the best trick if you if you can.
1: Yeah, it's not like you're exclusively riding Swift, it's just like Swift has hills and it really replicates it pretty accurately, especially on a smart trainer, to create the same resistance that you'd feel climbing on a road.
0: I guess I guess the low cadence could if we're doing an Ironman, that's a little bit that's less of a high intensity level than if you were I don't know, doing like a a sprint distance race. So I think maybe the low RPM would probably be sufficient for Hills and an Ironman.
2: Okay, great, Abby. Good luck. Next question is from Kylie. I was wondering what you do for sunscreen on the really hot and sunny days to avoid getting burnt during the race. Do you use spray sunscreen very quickly and pray you don't miss any spots? I was also curious about why all pros seem to wear tri-suits with sleeves. I come from a swim background, so the sleeveless seem more natural to me. Thanks, Kylie. So Good first question. of all, do you guys still get burned? I know you put sunscreen on, but it's, obviously the races are long. Do you guys yeah. still get burned, or is the race... I mean, what time are you guys done in a 70.3 usually?
1: Uh, enough to get a sunburn.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: We get sunburned pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. Eric got a really bad one at Exterior Worlds, actually. Yes, yes or at he did. Cross Tri World. <laughs> yes, he did. I would say that it, sometimes it's hard to remember in the morning to put it on because you're in the transition. It's dark out often, and it's not hot yet, so you don't think of it, but... I always remember, it's like, as I'm putting my wetsuit on right before that, I'll lather sunscreen everywhere because, um, yeah, the sun can be pretty bright even at like nine or 10 and that can lead to burns. But I don't think that this question is necessarily race specific. I think she's asking about um, training as well or just racing. Yeah, you're right. Training as well. I mean, you guys in the van
2: have that huge tub of yeah. sunscreen that you always I always see you guys put it on when you're training in the middle of the day that stuff's great yeah, yeah my we, my preference
1: pump. is uh, the liquid sunscreen not the spray sunscreen sometimes what the spray is good for is like the, when you're swimming just because there's so much exposed skin that the spray really makes sure you get everything but we both have a hu- we have a huge pump of Zelio sunscreen that we'd have at the door and we have one in the van and it's just really accessible so you really never forget and the the Zelio sunscreen is nice because it doesn't feel like sunscreen or smell like it it's kind of just like lotion and it's really effective so we both love that product a lot
2: mm-hmm.
1: you can actually buy it at the feed
2: yeah <laughs> wow not kidding <laughs> wow very nice
1: Vinyl wears a sleeveless tri-suit sometimes
2: yeah exterior oh, yeah, athletes right. typically that's right. wear
0: sleeveless
1: yeah the only point of sleeves is the only point of sleeves is that it's faster. Aerodynamically. Aerodynamically, having fabric on your shoulders and and arms versus skin is faster. But if it's really hot or if it's just more comfortable for you to have sleeveless, it's not going to make the biggest difference in the world to have sleeves. So, a lot you see Lionel a lot of the time. I think in St. George he wore sleeves and then in um whatever race he just did, where was it? Gulf in Florida Gulf Coast, he did sleeveless. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a personal preference a little bit. So
2: is the is the reason that the Xterra athletes don't do sleeves because they're not going as fast on the mountain bike so they don't have as much of an aerodynamic is, penalty?
0: It's just so not a factor relative right. to all the
2: other components of that style of racing. So yeah. better to be more slightly incrementally more comfortable mm-hmm. and free of motion. Is yeah, that,
0: and I, cooler? I don't know. I've definitely like hit a tree with my arm. With my sleeveless, with my sleeved suit and like got a hole in it while racing Xterra. So I don't know. It's, and it's just a style thing too, but just the sleeves are not necessary by any means. Got it. For an Xterra.
2: For Got it. Cool. Um, Okay. Next one is nice and short for you, Paula. It's from Jack. Hello, me and my girlfriend are doing our first triathlon relay at Xterra Birmingham and hope to see Eric there. Have the three of you ever done a relay or would you consider one in the future? If you were to do one, who would do each leg? So we've talked about this before, but I, I was we like, have, yeah. of, I was like, of course, Eric would do the swim and Paula would do the run and I would do the bike, but that's the worst, that's the worst possible way. That's the slowest combination. No,
1: I, Nick, I think maybe especially for Xterra, I would swim, Eric would bike, you would run.
2: Oh, I think in any triathlon, I would have to swim, even though I'm the worst swimmer. Like, what am I going to swim? Like five minutes slower? I'm going to bike like thirty minutes slower than Eric. You know? Yeah, but
1: and, do you think you're going to run five minutes slower than me? Uh,
2: I don't know. It's I hard just to say. It's I hard would imagine say. you're going to run so much faster than I could run. Like, is this a, the, is this
0: an Olympic or is this a 70.3 or is it an era? That's
2: that's tough. That's tough. I, let's say yeah. 70.3 just because I feel like everyone understands that. But 70.3, you...
0: then Paula should definitely run. Olympic right. distance. I think that's a toss up.
1: Yeah. Wow. Interesting.
2: Yeah. Interesting idea. God, that would Nick, be so Nick, funny. your strongest,
1: your strongest leg is the bike, but in a by relay far, of the three of us, you wouldn't do it.
2: No, no, I wouldn't because Eric's we'd so lose, still lose so much time on the bike by me biking.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting question. Um, Maybe we should do one. I would like to do the swim just to get it over with and then watch you guys for the last two legs.
2: Just have me have like a 20-minute lead on everyone and then everyone get it back to me while I'm running. (laughs) I feel like like we could make
0: a whole, we could do a whole video series about this. Like establishing the fastest possible relay team amongst us for an Olympic distance triathlon. And we would have to do like, we'd have to do time trial in the pool. We'd have to do like, Oh, I love it. A little mini time trial on the bike and, you know, figure out the whole, that could be fun. I love it. Yeah. Could
1: do
2: some math. Yeah.
1: It's really hard Strap though, late. because like, as we've talked about on the podcast, Nick doesn't owe his race to the level that he trains at.
2: No, but if I were to just do one sport, I think I could do a good job at the one sport. You're
1: right. You're right.
2: Like if it's yeah. just about pushing 300 watts for an hour on the bike, I yeah. probably could do that by itself.
1: That's true. Without running after. Okay. Yeah. Good mm. point.
2: It's the it's the whole thing together. That's a disaster. Which is what I'm trying to I'm trying to make it work this weekend. That's the yeah, idea. Yeah, it'll
1: be better this weekend. Anyway, these people will be in Exeter. It sounds like right, Eric?
2: Yeah, I will be there. Cool. Come Maybe say hi. We'll see Eric. Yeah, awesome. Um, next question here is from Bella. Hey, Paula, Eric, Nick, and Flynn. Like lots of TTL, Nash swimming is my least favorite and weakest leg. I feel like my legs just sink. I'm often faster with a pull buoy than I am swimming normally. I was wondering if you guys do much kick in your sessions. I avoid kick as I hate it and I feel like I'm barely moving. If so, what would you guys say the split is on a regular session between kick, pull, fins, paddles, and swim? Thanks so much and best of luck for the season ahead. So when Bella's talking about kick, she's talking about using a kick board and not using your arms, just using your feet to propel you. So I've seen you guys do some of this. How in a 4K workout, how many yards or, or meters are you doing just kick?
1: Like two to 400 meters, maybe.
2: Yeah. And group together or split up between the swim somewhere? Group, t- group together.
0: And we don't kick every single workout.
1: I think the kick can be useful for recovery a little bit. If it's like an easy swim, doing kick actually can kind of like flush your legs out. Um, it is a component of triathlon. Like if your kick is strong, it'll help you swim better. But I find often in triathlons, my kick is not that strong like I'm kind of having a two beat kick to save for the bike and run so it's not something we necessarily focus on when I did swim club growing up we'd do like 2k kick sets like kicking is so so important for competitive swimmers but a little less important for triathletes
0: yeah i will say every warm up it we do 800 warm up choice every every workout that we do and every workout i do this set where i do a 25 kick and then i do a 50 swim and then you end up back at your kickboard and i do a 25 kick and a 50 swim i do 475s like that just continuously thinking about like keeping a rigid core and kicking really well and then thinking about like kind of carrying that through the 50 of swimming
2: so that's that's what i was going to ask you is what is the point of kicking in the pool is it to is it like a drill for your kick or is it an aerobic thing or is it to i mean i don't really understand it especially doing triathlon where once I put a wetsuit on in a race, I'm barely kicking up because I'm so floaty as it is. I
0: guess if you were going to relate it to using a wetsuit, then kicking is just challenging to propel yourself that way and have a rigid core and be on top of the water and all the things and not just sink. So I think that's, it's helpful for that. Similar to like doing head up drill or sighting. like Uh, you definitely, definitely need to kick a little bit every time that you sight. Yeah. So just general strength.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, And what would you say, what about pull and fins and paddles? How often do you, you guys never use fins, right?
0: Uh, We'll occasionally use fins, but. Not really,
1: but I think this is a good question because a lot of these times these tools can be kind of used as a crutch because they're easier. But I, I think that they're good in moderation and with intent and purpose. And a lot of people use paddles and pull boy too much. And I think I became a better swimmer, or at least a better swimmer in triathlon, when I didn't use toys as much and really focused on uh-huh. doing all my sets swimming, sw- swimming, swimming. Unless it was like a specific strength swim where you pull paddles for a lot of time, and the coach, our coach, prescribes it. But for example, if he prescribes a set that's supposed to be swim, and you put a pull boy in because it's easier, that's not doing you any favors. So. Right. Yeah, follow, follow the guidance of a coach, but don't overuse those tools just because they might bring your heart rate down and your perceived effort down.
2: So, to answer Bella's question, maybe use paddles for two to 400 of your 4K workout.
1: It's mm, not even that. No. It's like one workout a week, you'll use them for like 3K. Uh, okay.
2: It's like you're
1: lifting weights.
2: Yeah. Yep. Got and it. then on a
1: hard swim day, you're not using them at all because you're doing intervals that are swimming. So, it's more splitting it up by day.
2: I had the sensation today in the swim that was kind of interesting that I I swam, it was like, it was 100 hard, 100 hard, 200 with paddles at that same 100 pace. And when I took the paddles off, I had, uh, obviously they're great for building strength, but I also felt like since my hands were moving through the water quicker, because I didn't have paddles on there, my brain was trying to compensate by using more of the surface of my forearm and like bicep to grab more of the water. Is that kind of an intended point of the paddles or... Is it really just about building strength? Don't worry about technique. Just build that like arm and shoulder strength.
0: I'm going to guess that was more of a sensation than an actual thing just because you took the paddles off and your hands feel like you're swimming with knobs. Like nubs.
2: toothpicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, but no, more, more of the point of the paddles is to just build strength without necessarily getting your heart rate skyrocketed because your turnover is super high and you're kicking really hard and mm, all of this right. stuff.
1: Right. Depending on the paddle, though, like some t- some paddles are actually shaped in different ways, and our coach actually like 3D prints paddles that are certain shapes to try to get us to pull and have technique effects as well. More for people that are weaker swimmers, like me, more than Eric. But um, there's definitely types of paddles that can actually be corrective in a stroke, more than strength focused. Wow, that's but cool. that's a whole rabbit hole. That's a whole yeah. rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. I love it, I love it.
2: The toys help me a lot. They keep me entertained in this way. Yeah, that's so. the thing,
1: Nick. That's yeah. not what they're for. That's why we call <laughs> them toys
2: and that's not tools. I come to the edge of the pool, I have my leopard fins, my pole buoy, my giant yeah. paddles, my snorkel. I got it all. I leopard fins, they're stripper flippers. Stripper flippers, I'm so sorry. Yes, of course. <laughs>
1: I totally agree that it makes it more manageable to swim. So if you're rather gonna if you're gonna not swim without the toy, right. like it's better to use yeah. the toys, but right, right, cool. Um,
2: okay. Next question is from Daniel. Love the podcast and following along your adventures. I have a question regarding bike tires for training. I do all my bike training outdoors on local river trails. I train by power and this year have started to train using gravel tires on my road bike. I don't ride gravel, but I just find the gravel tires to generally be more durable and much cheaper. The gravel tires I use are now half the price of the tires I used to use. And since I trained by power, I don't think there'd be any issue, but just want to get your opinion on this. So Daniel's question is, he's just going to be going slower with those tires. He's not racing on those tires and he's going by power. Is there any downside since they're also cheaper and probably more puncture resistant? Nope. You're just going slower. Yeah. That's kind of a, a, a nice little hack. It feels like you're going to yeah. go slower oh, and safer,
0: I guess. And, but that's part of the reason we ride our gravel bikes a lot. Even if we're going to ride even just a teeny little section of dirt, That's really soft riding. You can push very consistent power. You don't have to be going that fast. It's no, I don't see any, any downside of it, to it unless you were going to be doing some technical cornering and stuff, in which case a nicer tire is just going to handle a lot better and feel nicer.
2: It's kind of like the same reason why we do a lot of our intervals going uphill. It also is a little easier to put out power. But you just don't have to go as fast to get that power output out, right? It's Mm -hmm. just another version of that.
0: Requires a little less focus.
2: Yeah, cool. Uh, Next question here is from Liam. Hi, Eric, Paul, and Nick. My name is Liam, and I'm 16 years old. I'm just getting into triathlon. I've been cycling all my life, but swimming and running have been a bit of a learning curve. My question is, how do I come up with a training plan so that I am getting more out of my workouts and balancing endurance versus sprint workouts instead of just going out for a long ride, swim, or run with no purpose every single time? Thank you and love all you guys do for the podcast. Super informative and I gain a lot from it. Liam.
1: Yeah, I would say that uh, there's definitely some purpose in doing like aerobic, non-structured workouts, just doing a run, doing a ride for building fitness, but... Um, There's enormous value in doing intervals and having a little bit of structure to each session as well. So having a training plan is probably a good option. And it doesn't necessarily mean getting a coach, but just maybe an online option or some kind of structure so that you feel like you're training with purpose and you're not just going out and exercising.
2: For years, I trained with training plans found online and I loved it. I thought it was super fun and still felt yeah. purposeful. And there's, if you find a good one, there's science behind the the effects that it has on your body that make you better at racing. So, yeah, I can't imagine just going out every day with no structure for the whole year. I think there, like you said, there's a time and place for that where it is good.
1: Yeah, but the whole year. And also year it seems depends scary. on your. It depends on your goals as well. If your goal is just to complete a triathlon, that's totally fine. Yeah, you can do that by just getting your body used to swimming, biking, running without any structure at all. But um, if your goals are more to get best times or to get the most out of yourself, then for sure having structure is good. Well, Paula, when you started, or actually for both of you, when you guys
2: started, how much of your training was structured versus you were a swimmer already, right?
1: Yeah, but I when I started triathlon, I had a triathlon coach as well. Right from the beginning. So it was completely structured, yeah. Wow. Like more way more structured than... I mean, the swims Even were now. insanely structured. The runs right. were insanely structured. And then the whole program was. So, yeah, I've never really done it freestyle.
2: And what, what year? How old were you at this time?
1: Uh, I was, it was like 2006 that I did my first race. So.
2: were so like 17?
1: Yeah, 16,
2: 17. 16, 17. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so not, fun. Not
1: that young for doing my first triathlon, you know? Although I'd been training long before that
2: yeah I was still just like plucking away at the guitar when I was sixteen or seventeen. I certainly wasn't doing yeah. very structured training with a but who was your coach was like did Canada did the country of Canada find you this coach? Ah uh, not at that point, but okay. eventually yeah, cool cool. and Eric, do you, when you first started training was your how structured was your training? I mean when you were started racing, you just kind of you already swam right and you ran cross country
0: uh no, I uh, cross country came after I started triathlon. I started doing some cross country to train for a triathlon. Uh, I, I there was a local coach that got me into it, and he would send me a training plan like occasionally oh, wow. in the summertime, and like that was good for me because I I wanted to be skateboarding and I had a swim team and I had a whole bunch of different things, and I hated running. It hurts my knees so much. But I would like f- complete that training plan because he would ask me at the end of each week how it went, and I just couldn't bear the thought of telling him that I didn't do something. Oh,
2: man. So both yeah. of you started with structured training. That's kind of interesting.
0: Very, I mean, very loose. This was not like an intense training plan for me anyway.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I was interesting. 12. <laughs> um, but Liam, there's a lot of training plans out there. There's a lot of free ones that you can find on the internet, uh, but there's also ones where you can like plug in your specific data and it... Uh, Adjusts to your levels at each sport. That can be helpful as well. Um, next question here. Hi, TTNace. Huge fan of the pod. Had a great time spectating Oceanside and love the new kit, Eric. I'll jump right into it. Can you train for a seventy point three and a marathon at the same time? I'm 27 and just finished my second seventy point three in St. George. I'm racing New York City Marathon on November 3rd. It will be my first ever marathon. Toying with the idea of racing Indian Wells just one month after. Ideally. Ironman would be my A-race since I raced it last year and I'd like to PR this time. So what do you think? Can you do this? And if so, like, how would you navigate it?
1: Yeah, I think my initial thought is that it's, Great, good for your marathon to be training for a triathlon because of all the cross training and you often see triathletes that go and try to do a straight up run race run slower than they would in a triathlon you just get so much fitness through the bike and the swim with less impact that your injury risk is minimized and it's just like you're still training your heart as you're doing those other activities i would say that just making sure you get in adequate long runs so that your legs can withstand the pounding of a marathon but i definitely think it's possible to train for both.
2: The way I did this when I did LA Marathon and was also training for 70.3 is I did exactly what you just said. I did Uh, all the 70.3 training, but I also did the progressive long runs each week where I would mm. add a little bit of miles or or subtract a little bit each week. It worked fine for me. Do you feel like I should have added even more running on top of the 70.3 specific training?
0: Yeah, probably. I, I don't think you can. You could probably have a slightly better marathon if you just trained for a marathon. You probably have a slightly better triathlon if you just trained for the triathlon, but I think you can get really, really close. And like Paula said, potentially avoid some injury. So, um, yeah, I don't know. You could have maybe pr- built into those long runs a little bit of race specific speed somewhere in there, like mm. made them a build run or something like that if you wanted to just get some more time at the marathon pace.
1: I wonder if, like, a 70.3 run split would be about the same pace as your open marathon pace. That's
2: what people say. People say, like, for a triathlon, what you race in a sprint, your pace should be what you race a 10K at, open 10K. Which okay. The pace you do for a 10K is the pace that you do a half marathon at if the 10K is in a triathlon, kind of like each step down race. But, I mean, as, as a rough kind of estimate. A rough guide,
1: yeah. yeah. Like, if you're running a 120 half in a in a race, you should be able to run a 240 marathon, something like that. Yes,
2: yeah. Okay. Right. Right. So
1: maybe the paces aren't that different after all.
2: Yeah. I just, I like the idea. I think it's totally possible to do this. I'm just curious, like, how much you would modify the 70.3 plan to fit the marathon. And I think, like, you could get pretty specific with it, but it's so much volume as it is that it probably is, probably is great and keeps you healthy.
1: Yeah. I would also say that the order that this happens in is probably a good thing. Like, after you do your marathon, Take like two weeks with barely any running and just really focus on the swim and the bike. That's just yeah. my initial thought. I don't know if that's a good idea, but um, you'll be needing to recover from the run yeah. anyway.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Well, good luck. Yeah. That, that sounds epic. Um, next questions here are from Natalia. First one is, you guys recently trained at altitude. I'm moving into an Ironman block for Lake Placid, but I'll be in Breckenridge, Colorado for three weeks, and I'm wondering how I should adjust my power. Uh, Breckenridge is at 9,600 feet. My zone two endurance watts are about 180 to 190. Sweet spot where I like to do some longer intervals are about 230. How much lower? Really? Sh- are they a pro? Yeah. Sweet spot at 230. That's that's nice. Good for you. Um, how much lower should I expect my power zones to be? Way lower. Um, yeah. So I looked this. I do. You guys remember in uh, when we were in Flagstaff and I did that ride with you guys and I like I did. It was like. It was a lot of power for me up that one, like seventy-minute climb. So yeah. I texted uh, Jonathan Lee and asked him because he's like all sciencey about this stuff. And I asked him like what roughly that would correlate to in uh, at sea level. And he sent me a chart of like all oh, of, like what it's like at different feet. So I looked, I, I went back to that chart. Thank you, Jonathan. And uh, it's between seventy-nine percent and eighty-four uh, percent, depending on how acclimated you are at ten thousand feet. So you would just, you know, take your 230 and multiply it by whatever 0.79 or 0.84, depending on how acclimated you are. And that should give you a rough idea of what you should be holding at that same thing. And I think Mm. it's important to know that different bodies deal with altitude in different ways. Some people are are way better and some people are way worse.
1: And I might say that that's the case once you're acclimated to it. Like I wouldn't just go up to Breckenridge, which is crazy high, high. (laughs) 2,000 feet higher than Flagstaff, which is already crazy high. Yeah. And a... Just like take your watts and multiply them by whatever and make new just watts. Go it's for like it. yeah. <laughs> right, go by right, feel. Right. Don't even look at your power meter. Like when we got to fly stuff, we were doing super super easy stuff, and to the point where I didn't even want to look at my pace or my numbers, just because it's important to keep it easy and go a little bit feel based and listen to your breathing and be a bit intuitive about it instead of looking at. Be like, okay, I'm doing an aerobic ride. Usually, I do 180. Today, I'm doing. 146, you know, it's like, that's not how it should be, but, um, Uh, definitely they're going to be lower and be okay with that. Don't try to push up higher and like against what your Watts would be at sea level. Otherwise you'll just burn yourself out and fry yourself, especially when you're that high, but it can be a really useful tool to be up there for three weeks. I think that's really a good period of time before coming down to race, um, I was worried after we were spent time in stuff that I'd lost like kind of my top end watts because I hadn't really been training that up high. But I came down to Ibiza, felt great, did a workout yesterday here, felt great. My watts were still good. So it don't let it freak you out when your watts are lower. Um, you're getting benefits in other ways. Eric,
2: this reminds me of that time that you dug a hole and felt bad for a long time because you went too hard at altitude. Yep. Where was that? Uh, in Flagstaff. I was in
0: Flagstaff in like 2014.
2: So, can you give Natalia any like words of wisdom here? Things that you wish you could have told yourself back then. I mean, is it as simple as don't go hard right away?
0: I feel like you just cannot go too easy ever. Right. There's no
1: such thing as too easy when you're at altitude.
0: Right. No, that, that, that go for a elevation. walk. <laughs> just, when we were there, it was just I was like, we're I'm just running. So I'm running really slow and I'll let the pace come up slowly just like when I'm running at sea level, but 100% based on perceived exertion. Like I just didn't even look at my watch. I just had it running to collect data, but just just go by feel I think really and chill because you're there to breathe and build blood cells, not yeah build strength, like I, at least in the first couple of weeks.
1: A good way to do this is to train alone or don't train with someone that's going to yeah push the pace, half step you and make you get out of that that zone
0: yeah even though we were there in flagstaff this year with the squad uh, most of us we didn't do that many non uh like the workouts the the keep the quality sessions we did pretty much all the non-quality sessions by ourselves Mm, rarely did we link up and everybody was very cool about hey i just need to go out and do my own thing at my own pace and no worries
2: that's that's the time that Training with other people can actually bite you in the other direction. Because, of course, it's a great tool to push yourself, but sometimes it's, like you're saying, that yeah. can be counterproductive.
0: It the Fatigue really stacks up quick.
2: And then the second question that I had here was uh, for me, are you planning on doing any Ironmans this year? Followed you the entire day during Ironman Wisconsin on my tracker, and I felt so bad for you that the day turned out so unlucky. Hope you'll try again. Uh, I'm, I'm going to see what racing on Saturday is like. Uh, I'm doing my first 70.3 in like two years. And depending on how I feel on that run, uh, how my injuries feel on that run, I'm going to kind of go from there. But I, I would really like to. I really, really, really would like to. Uh, next question here. Hey, Eric, I'm headed to Chattanooga 70.3 next week. Packing my bike up into a bike box, Alan, I don't have a bike stand to use when I get there. Are there any pro tips or hacks to putting the bike together without a stand? For example, put wheels on first, then adjust the cockpit and derailleur and chain, et cetera.
1: He's using a bike box Allen.
2: That yeah. one's tricky. It's I,
1: not tricky. That bike case requires like no disassembly. A? Really?
0: You got to take the yeah, bars so off. Yeah, the bike right? box
1: Allen. You like just plop it in.
0: I don't think you can leave your arrow, like your arrow bars your
1: extensions. Your, yeah,
0: and your base bar. I don't. Can you leave your base bar on with that? Yeah,
1: you can. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, the reason that I said it was tricky is because you can't. What I do with our cycons and with the Thule bag that we have is I leave the. The bike, like, sitting vertically, still strapped into the case or whatever.
1: As you put the bars on. With the
0: through axles in as I attach the bars because it's very fixed and steady that way. Yeah. And then the last thing I do is put on the wheels versus having the bike sitting on its tires and its in and everything and, like, the ability to, like, swing around as you're trying to attach the handlebars.
1: Yeah, I think the best thing to do here would be to put the wheels on first and then deal with the aero bars when it has a base that are the wheels. Yeah. You don't need a bike stand, though. That's That's overkill.
0: I mean, it's nice to have one, but...
1: Yeah, we don't travel with one. There is a Thule case that actually like kind of comes with a built-in bike stand. Ours have that. Yeah. It's very cool. It adds some weight to the whole contraption, but it is really cool. We have so many bike bags. Uh, They all have pros and cons.
0: And different ways to put the bike together.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Everyone asks me, like, what's the best bike bag? and there is no one answer.
2: We actually had a question about this that I didn't use, but I was curious what you guys think about this. If your bike breaks in the in the airplane, what's the course of action to take? Is that just, oops, and the bike is done, that's it? Do you contact yeah. the airline?
0: Uh, they're never going to do anything.
1: Yeah, I don't think they would do anything.
2: You
0: contact your insurance company maybe and see if they'll have mercy on you. But
1: What do Eric and I do? We're spoiled rotten and we... We email specialize, <laughs> but, uh,
0: there are, um, carbon repair companies out there that I've used before, um, in this exact situation, actually, when I couldn't get a new bike frame and for whatever, a thousand bucks or 500 bucks, they can actually, you know, carbon's basically like paper mache and they'll sand it down and put on more carbon and, and the thing, and it might not be the prettiest, but it works.
2: Yeah. Oh, interesting. Cool. Um, so yeah, you can just, and I, our bag that we use Paula too, it like, it really locks in there and you, it's not hard to build it up from there, but you don't have to take anything off of our bike when we, when we use that Evoc case.
1: Evoc Pro. Yeah. It does yeah. have its downsides. We won't get into it.
2: Last question here, uh, is from Allie. Hi, Paula, Eric, Nick, and Flynn. Love the podcast and I'm inspired by all of you. Special shout out to Paula. I really admire how you've persevered with the sport and through injuries. It takes a lot of courage, grit, and grace. Uh, I didn't grow up swimming, and I'm seeing consistent progress. However, there's not much difference between a fast 200 and a fast 400 or even a 600. Should I be concerned about my lack of speed or just keep hammering the longer efforts since tries are not 50 sprints?
0: The, the only context I care about is uh, what, it, what, what distance is he racing? 70.3. Okay, so if you're going to be racing a 70.3, I really don't think your start speed... Is an
2: issue, and and I wouldn't stress it,
1: especially in uh, in the amateur field.
2: Do you think though that this is a sign of something else, of stagnating progress in another way that might be impacting not not his fifty time, but his overall swim time?
0: It's possible. It's it's just tough because when you go into like a sprint type of effort or like a a a much harder effort in swimming, almost inevitably your stroke. Changes a bit, mm-hmm. and it's there's a bit of a you know, an if there of will that uh technique or that power and strength really translate into whatever stroke you use when you're swimming for 45 minutes. Even for us, I would almost say, like, what you could do instead of doing like three 500s is you could break that into 50s or 75s and just try to swim maybe one second per hundred faster than you would be doing for that if you you know if you were doing it by 500. So you're not completely changing your stroke but you're getting a little bit more speed I and mean, you're you're getting a little bit more rest at the same time and just really holding like good strong technique together.
1: I think a lot of the point of doing 50s or 100s or like breaking things up is that when you do get that reset at the wall, you will push off with better technique and fresher you know overall Sensations versus doing a five hundred or a thousand straight, you are going to break down mechanically and maybe enforce some bad habits. So it's one of the many reasons that we do fast fifties, we do hard hundreds, we break up our sets, um, and we're not just going to the pool and swimming a eighteen hundred meter hard every day to practice for a triathlon. You know,
2: yeah, I can't help but feel like if your two hundred and your four hundred pace are the same. I just feel like, are you digging deep enough for that 200? That's kind of what I'm, is that a wrong assumption to make?
0: I mean, there are definitely days where that would be the case for me due to fatigue. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe you do just need to like do some, actually do like 350s on the two minutes and just really try to get in in connection with like, maximum effort.
1: I do think that...
0: um, (laughs) Just test the theory.
1: (laughs) Yeah, some of our Ironman friends, when we would do like fast 25s or fast 50s, you would watch them come into the wall and their stroke rate was barely different than if they're warming up. So I think stroke rate has a lot to do with this. And a lot Uh, of the times people don't know how to turn their arms over that fast or they just don't think about it. So uh, for a 200, your stroke rate should be higher than a 400. Um, that'll naturally increase the effort and increase the speed. But I think like tempo trainers that you put in your swim cap could be helpful for this just to like tick, 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 tick ticks, you know, and you're encouraged to have this, uh, higher turnover.
0: It's tough because just having higher turnover in the water is a neuromuscular thing. It's not always just like, Oh, just move your arms faster. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, like, it takes
1: some practice and some patterning, and it also could create bad habits like slipping through the water, so you're not actually pulling. And eventually, you want to be able to have the higher turnover while effectively pulling water, which will make you go faster. But it's it's definitely a a learning curve.
2: Swimming's tricky. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. No kidding. No kidding.
1: <laughs>
2: um, well, yeah, there you go, Ali. I don't. It sounds like it's not the worst thing in the world, but that's some good advice.
1: It's something little... you could work on for sure. Yeah. It's just because yeah. it's like fun. Yeah. Swimming sucks. Here's a thing you can work on that involves doing 25s. Fun. Totally.
2: Isn't that what yep. swimming is about? Like Just distract yourself <laughs> from the fact that you're doing all this swimming in some way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, those are all the questions we have for this week. I'm still on such a high from trail running this week. And this is my unsolicited advice this week. Trail run in beautiful places. It's just going to make you love running so much more. Do you guys have any unsolicited advice for our listeners this
0: week?
1: Uh, I would second
2: that.
0: I'm always in a good mood after a long trail run.
1: Uh, yeah, I would, uh, not, not, uh, not for, (laughs) it's not for everyone. I heard someone say this week (laughs) that like people classifying runs as like recovery runs or easy runs is so fake because there's no such thing as an easy run.
2: It's always hard. And if you tell yourself it's easy before you start, you're just going to be disappointed when you're like, wait a second, this is still not easy.
1: Running is so hard. Like we went running today. I was so tired. So I was like, came in around like five ten per K. Still was hard, still was breathing hard, still wanted French fries the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst activity ever. But we somehow convince ourselves when we're in pretty places that it's beautiful. And then after the fact you got the endorphins, you're like, Oh my god, that was yeah. so beautiful. I'm in the best mood. Yeah. But if you can truly slow down and take in the beauty, it's nice.
0: Yeah. I was like and you guys- do six minutes per K. <laughs> yeah.
1: I did for one of the K's. I was like, oh God, I should pick it up. <laughs>
0: That's there great. you go It's it, You just weren't going easy enough Once
2: that watch ticks at six minutes You're like you okay
1: fu- Yeah maybe I shouldn't have walked that hill <laughs> I, mean, I think that's
0: the problem that Everybody, Nobody's willing to go as easy as it takes For it to like truly be easy Yeah
1: that is true But anyway any run has load and is a training Totally Factor totally. If you want to do something yeah. easy you go for a 100 watt bike ride but,
2: Or walk the dog um,
1: That was a tangent a bit but Nick, I'm really glad you had a nice trip.
2: <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. It was the most trail running I've ever done uh, back-to-back days like that. It was really fun.
1: Nice. We'll chat with you guys next week after we've all done a race. Maybe you'll get three race recaps from no, us. We, we, we um, got to gotta
2: work on that somehow. We can't do three race recaps. We'll <laughs> actually be we'll make make
1: four short.
0: because I'm doing two races. We'll oh, make them short. <laughs>
1: Hopefully one of us will just have like the worst race of our lives. So we have this like motivational (laughs) piece to give you. Inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Chatty, not me. Yeah. But uh, Nick and I, you'll be able to follow on the Ironman tracker. I think Chattanooga actually has a live broadcast. So you can follow along with that. It's a women's only pro race. So no Lionel Sanders, no Sam Long, but Uh, There'll be a good show on the women's side. And then Nick, you'll be on the live tracker. And we'll try to figure out how how you can follow Eric's race too and post that on our Instagrams and stuff. probably can't. Eric, when's the last time you race back-to-back days? Yeah, to explain that.
0: ITU. Uh, ITU days with uh, mixed relays.
1: So it's a short track and a long track mountain bike. That's what he's doing.
0: So if you watch uh, cross-country mountain biking, like you know Nino Schurter and Kate Courtney and that kind of stuff, they have started doing these short track events in conjunction with the main event. So the athletes get two chances to race, two chances to make some points when they've traveled all over the world to get to, you know, Nova Miesto or wherever. And Xterra is starting to do that as well. So Saturday will be the regular Xterra distance, kind of Olympic distance-ish. And then on Sunday, they're having a short track race, which is, it's like a 400 meter swim, a 6k bike and a 2k run. So maximum effort really short course it'll probably be almost cyclocross style with m- really short laps and I don't know
2: what percentage wild. of the athletes do you think uh, do you have any idea how many are doing both days
0: uh, they t- they limit the short track to 20 athletes but last I checked the start list uh, for the main race only had 20 athletes so so maybe everybody will do it.
1: <laughs> okay yeah, why wouldn't yeah. you do it why wouldn't you do it
0: they limited it to 20 just because I think of the congestion of getting to the first buoy and just whatever, and also as a reward to the top athletes from the main event. Ah, uh, yeah. Got it. Cool. cool.
1: All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great weekend of training. Uh, we'll chat with you next week.
0: Bye. Later. Later. <laughs>